0: Hello and welcome to Changing Politics, the podcast that tells you how you can make a difference. I'm Marie Leconte. And I'm Gronje Maguire. This week we'll be talking about food banks and we'll also be telling you what you can do to help them. Before we get into the show, we do need to ask you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you got it from because that helps us get more listeners and that's always nice. You can also follow us on social
1: media at ChangingPolypod on Twitter and Changing Pol on Facebook. If you're trying to make a difference, please let us know. We'll be happy to share your campaigns.
0: Next week will be the last show before we take a break for the summer. So if you tweet us or leave a message on our Facebook wall before the 2nd of August, we'll give you and your campaign a mention in the podcast as well. Now, before we get to food
1: banks, let's start with the week's news. Parliament is in recess, so there's probably nothing to talk about then, Right.
0: Absolutely, everyone around Westminster definitely needs to have a bit of time off and a good night of sleep and a good sort of like, you know, cup of hot milk. But I think, yeah, Tory MPs especially.
1: So it's probably
0: if they could all kind of collectively come down, it would probably be good for the country.
1: Nice centre parks break for a week, (laughs) a week away. My God. I hope Theresa May does have a good holiday because she's got a lot more extra work since she has officially taken over brexit negotiations but i mean in
0: fairness though wasn't it the case like, i can remember the exact figure but i think you know david davis had managed to spend was it like six hours i think with michelle barnier over like several for a fucking hell four hours with michelle barnier and that was already being talked about at that point of was davis davis really running the brexit negotiations and you know mm-hmm. was it not ollie robbins who's in charge of the europe um, team at the Cabinet Office, and so I don't think it's really changed. But like, the person I do actually feel a bit sorry for is Dominic Robb, the new Brexit <laughs> Secretary of State, because he was uh, he was in front of the Select Committee talking to the MPs about the job he's mm. kind of doing now, and literally there was a push alert. So I think it was from Sky News saying, you know, Theresa May now taking over Brexit negotiations, <laughs> and you could hear his phone going off that like, with the alert that of his own demotion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what well, it's as. Own fault for having a name that sounds made up. <laughs> Does R- Dominic Rab sounds like somebody like, oh, uh, my my boyfriend from Canada, you don't know him, his name's Dominic Rab. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a real name. Come back when you've got a proper surname, Dominic Rab. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is going to be good. I think Theresa May can play to her strengths because she's now, she's got a shtick, she's got the cough. So, <laughs> I think in tough negotiations, you can just be like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." I completely agree, <coughs> apart from Northern Ireland. So, anyway, <laughs> do you think is she just making work for herself, or do you think it'll just be easier just doing it herself?
0: I think again, you know, I, I think she was already—I mean, Ollie Robbins and kind of like that mm-hmm. team were like oh, already doing the bulk of the work anyway. So, I reckon it's actually going to be easier now, because mm-hmm. yeah, now you know you've got Dominic Raab like planning for a No Deal Brexit, stockpiling food, and what was it like? We'll have adequate food. Uh, in case of a no-deal Brexit. And so well, that well, that's reassuring. That's all we wanted, you know, just on that big red bus, just, you know, adequate
1: food. <laughs> I mean, is this what getting control back is?
0: <laughs> we send £350 million a week to the EU. Let's spend it on adequate
1: food instead. <laughs> there is no more British phrase than adequate food. <laughs> this they don't want like foreign muck. They don't want flavors, <laughs> spices. They want a food to be adequate. Kidney pie. <laughs> Kidney pie for all. So it's incredible she did it. She got to the end. I know.
0: I mean, I, I actually feel a bit smug because for the past few months, I've been quite consistently saying that actually, even though I did not really make predictions anymore, mm. I still really thought that Theresa May was going to survive this. So she did. So there you go. You know, in many ways, I'm, you know, as much a success story for me as it is for <laughs> Theresa May, really.
1: For strong women everywhere.
0: <laughs> I think that basically the issue that ended up kind of working out quite well for Theresa May is the fact that the parliamentary conservative party is so split on so many different things and on so many different levels they're like actually they could not organize that like, you know nothing could really happen the prime minister is mostly at threat when there's let's say one big issue and maybe two camps let's say you know mm. maybe three camps at best but you know and that's bad because you know that those people can organize probably have the numbers to do something bad but in that case you know The Parliamentary Conservative Party is so split on Brexit, but in so many different ways, and split on other issues as well, that actually, you know, they can't get organised. There's no coalition there, really, of MPs, I think, willing to get together to bring her down.
1: I feel a little bit protective, because I thought, sort of, like, being disorganised and too many factions and nobody sort of, like, standing behind one candidate, that was sort of the left thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't understand. It feels like they've, they're tanks on our lawn when it comes to that. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> tanks on the tankies lawn. Um. Yeah.
0: I do think, yeah, she will survive the summer and then, no, she is going walking though, so that's a oh. bit of a worry, given what happened last time she uh,
1: she went walking. Last week for the recess, it has now got a new name. It's been coined Taking Out the Trash Day. Now, I must admit, when I saw the headline, I was a little bit disappointed. I assumed it involved some sort of wrestling WrestleMania style Smackdown event, which is a real disappointment for me because if anybody knows me, they know I've always wanted to see Jeremy Hunt in a fringe leotard. But it turns out (laughs) it's got nothing to do with that. But enough about your fan fiction. (laughs) So basically, it's the idea of the last week before recess, the government on the down low release loads of unpopular things they don't want that much scrutiny given to?
0: Well, I'm not sure. So I think that, you know, obviously that came from the West Wing, the other, you know, take out the trash day. It was probably true to an extent for a while that the government would try and publish stuff on the last day before recess, preferably at sort of, you know, 4.45 p.m., (laughs) But because it's become such a thing in the past... It's not been that long. Generally for the past, let's say, like, three years, I'd say, in sort of, like, political journalism, has become this quite big thing. So I think the Mirror, mostly, have been the ones doing it, saying, so, you know, it's take out the trash day, that we've read everything. Truth is, like, the government publishes a lot of documents day in, day out, and, you know, all the Whitehall departments. And actually, most of those documents basically never get read by journalists because journalists don't have the time etc and most of them are really really dull actually (laughs) but the one day now of the year they're guaranteed to like read like those documents are guaranteed to be read by a lot of journalists is basically on that day before recess I kind of feel like it's now stopped being a thing and also a part of me wonders, and this is more you know a guess than like actual sort of like insight but um as someone who has always, always left everything to the last possible minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if it's not also just civil servants being like, this is fine, I've got plenty of time to write that paper. I've got weeks, I've got I've got a week, I've I've got days, I've Oh god. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're just babies trying like everybody else. Yes. Not sinister Machiavellian. Cock up, not conspiracy. Yeah. So, how's our favourite blonde hot mess? Oh, God. And this time, I don't even mean you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just going to walk out. Just, that's why I am. I'm just going just gonna to walk out. <laughs> Boris has apparently been in contact with uh, Steve Bannon for quite a while. You know, friend of the podcast, Steve Bannon.
1: Oh, hey, uh, Stevie. Shout yeah. out if you're listening. <laughs>
0: Um, which is a concern. And, you know, like sources have told journalists that, you know, they were even in touch when Bannon was at the White House and Boris was still Foreign Secretary, which is genuinely worrying. And especially when you see that, you know, Boris has always tried to set himself up as the great liberal internationalist, whatever, Tory, and now he's just pals of the white supremacist.
1: I mean, it's just boggles. He's so desperate. He's so, so desperate. It's like, what is he? He went from being the next Winston Churchill to like what? Aiming for like a radio call in show? I mean, what? (laughs) It feels very grubby, doesn't it? It does, but
0: I think so. What's going to be interesting to watch is that. So I was actually just before that, like days before that story came out, I was talking to Tory friends, and the the whispers kind of that were going round earlier this week were around the fact that actually some Conservative MPs who traditionally would not necessarily support Boris Johnson had started to have a bit of a change of heart because there's been polling coming out recently saying that, you know, Boris is still quite popular with the public. So there were quite a few Conservative MPs who were starting to be like, okay, well, you know, fine, guess we should probably get behind Boris and, you know, get him as the next PM. So I wonder how that story's going to play out for him, really, because Steve Bannon, I reckon, is still unpalatable to still, like a majority of Conservative MPs.
1: So, Marie, our very own Lois Lane. (laughs) In many ways, in many ways, yeah. You have an update on a story that you broke involving Darren Grimes.
0: Yes, so we published at BuzzFeed, so around two years ago, a story about how Vote Leave had donated over 600k to Darren Grimes, who was this guy who at the time was, I think, 22, who was a student and, you know, and he was running the Believe campaign, which was, you know, the Leave campaign for students. And basically that kind of raised questions at the time about, the link between you know vote leave and yeah believe and the other campaigns kind of around it and general spending limits as well obviously and so anyway the electoral commission did investigate that and did find Dan Grimes among others to be guilty you know like, of effectively like spending fraud so he was fined twenty thousand pounds but he is now raising funds no so I think originally he tried to raise money to pay off his fine but then realise that they actually like... I'm not entirely sure if it's entirely illegal, but definitely like a bit dodgy, like, mm. you know, fundraise to... Pay no, So he's now fundraising to take the Electoral Commission to court and I contest that and his argument is effectively that, you know, I was a 22-year-old, I just ticked the wrong box and now they're trying to destroy me, which is a bit weird because, you know, fine, you were 22, well, so you knew what you were doing and in that case, you know, perhaps get angry at the people who were kind of above you and kind of making you do that. But anyway, that's another thing. But yeah, but so interestingly, that campaign has now been supported by... Preeti Patel and Tory MP Lucy Allen. So that's the yeah, end, being like, you know, the Electoral Commission is clearly like, I'm paraphrasing, but basically full of Ramonas and, you know, and also the so odd, it's amusing kind of thing of going, but you know, but we want young people to be like involved in politics. And if stuff like this happens, like young people, won't get involved in campaigning,
1: <laughs> so, but, hang on, sort <laughs> So Pretty Patel and...
0: Lucy Allen, famous for bullying her staff a few years ago. That's the only thing she's famous for, <laughs> so in Parliament. So,
1: yeah, <laughs> campaign <laughs> of all the <laughs> but, Yeah. So they're taking his side over the Electoral Commission.
0: Yeah, yeah, they are. And basically, yeah, accusing... So I think that Darren's point as well is that, yeah, the Electoral Commission is biased because it's full of, like, Remainers or people who hate the Tories. Are um, they
1: biased because they've got all the facts and figures and... <laughs> Grown ups who know how to put a bloody tick in the right box, but how can he be like? Oh yeah, we need to get young people involved in politics. We need to vote. But I was just a baby of twenty two. <laughs> how does that work? It's it's, it's all yeah. It's almost like that's kind of inconsistent, isn't it? Young people should be listened to, but only if I can't even. I'm trying to do the sort of mental. Acrobatics. <laughs> just, it must be so lovely to be Brexiteer, just like facts and figures, just collapse whatever way you want them to. Weirdly enough, he's not the only Brexiteer who's in trouble this week. Aaron Banks, big uh, UKIP funder. An international playboy, I love this. this, is so funny. International
0: man of mystery, Aaron Banks.
1: man of mystery, Aaron Banks, is in trouble because he's been accused of bribing politicians in Lesotho so that he can start mining for diamonds. And I just love it because I just love anybody who lives their life as if they're in a Jackie Collins book. <laughs> and I feel that it's, I mean, bribery. To be a diamond miner, it's a bit old-fashioned, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know,
0: but they did say you know Brexit was about nostalgia, like, as well, in kind of
1: you know same kind of vibe. There's something I imagine him walking into some office in a safari suit. Oh god, <laughs> with something on his person made of ivory. <laughs> I like it. It's a, it's old school. It's old school. Yeah. I bet he he uses allspice. spice. <laughs> he's proper. <laughs> Good for him. Good for you, Aaron Banks. Keep living your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. Everybody's c- the coolest minister, Matt Hancock, new health secretary, has decided the future of the NHS will be saved by more apps. He's app <laughs> obsessed. I think he started his speech by going, Hello, fellow young people. <laughs> so, in an interview with Newsbeat, that uh, <laughs> I think maybe he just gives interviews to Newsbeat. Um, he said that he thinks the uh, NHS can be saved by putting more effort into tech and digital, which um, is very exciting. But
0: the issue with, you know, and, you know, bless Matt for trying, but I do slightly suspect that you could ask literally any question to Matt Hancock and his reply would be, we need more, like, tech and digital stuff. But, like, have you seen my pen? Well. You know, should I cut my hair?
1: Well. <laughs> I don't think, I think they haven't thought it through because if you go, instead of going to a doctor, if you do everything online, you're just one bad internet connection away from being diagnosed with a stroke. Like, <laughs>
0: This week we're looking at food banks. People are relying on them more and more. Last year, the Trussell Trust, a poverty charity that helps run 400 food banks across the UK, distributed 1.3 million food parcels to families in need. This is a 13% increase from the previous year. But how do you get food from a food bank? Well, they're all different, but here's Gary Lemon from the Trussell Trust to explain how they operate.
2: Um, you can't just come through the doors and, and get free food. Every single person who comes to a Trussell Trust food bank is referred from a, from a specialist. So that might be a local authority, it might be a citizen's advice, it could be like an MP surgery or a doctor's surgery. We do a lot of work making links, uh, the volunteers in our food banks do, uh, making links with referral agencies to make sure that we do catch people who are falling through the cracks, um, but we, we rely on the, the professionals to make the decision as to who's in need and who isn't because we've got a limited amount of food.
1: And what sort of person goes to a food bank? Here's Gary again.
2: There was some research which was undertaken last year by uh, Dr Rachel Loopster at the University of Oxford and King's College London, which looked at the demographics of people who came to us chiefly and, and from that information, from surveying people who were coming to food banks... Um, you can begin to glean information as to, as to why they've come. So what we found in that research is that the majority, about 80% of people who come to food banks, are meant at the time to be supported by benefits. A, a significant proportion were in work, but the majority weren't. And it found that about half of people, of households who have been referred to food banks, have got someone uh, there who is disabled, three quarters have an illness. And we also found that the average income uh, in the month before referral to a food bank for a household is just £319. So uh, what we've got there, when you kind of combine that demographic information with the scale is really is evidence of quite widespread destitution across the UK. If you delve deeper into the questions that we asked the people who came along, half of respondents in the the year before had been unable to afford heating lighting, suitable clothes for the weather, toiletries, you know, things like toothpaste, sanitary products. So it's indicative of a really quite wide-ranging and serious problem, which I I don't think enough people in this country actually realise the the size of the issue.
1: And here's one of our listeners, Benjamin Moore. Sorry about the sound quality, by the way. It was a bad phone line we spoke to him on. He's a carer, and a few months ago, he was referred to a food
3: bank. Because of my wife's disability, we had a a support worker from a local organisation. And she used to come to us every sort of two weeks and check how things were going on and, and make sure we were all right. And one of the things she said to us one week was, "Oh, would you like a food bank voucher? I, I hadn't really thought about it myself, to be honest, before, but, you know, things were very tight at the time. Basically, where we were at that stage was in a, in a flat where the roof had a major leak. And so we, well, our bedroom was incredibly damp all the time. And this was during the winter, so, so a lot of our money was going on electricity. And so, yeah, we were at the point of, you know, spending what we had left on food. We paid credit and paid our electricity.
0: Food banks dangers give out food, as you probably know.
2: Yeah, in terms of stuff extra to food, so sanitary products, really important, toiletries, toothpaste, um, some have got pet food. Up in Scotland, there's a food bank, which actually has got prom dresses. Uh, I think I'm showing my age. We didn't do big graduation balls in my day when we graduated from high school, but apparently it's a really huge thing now. And so... You know, when you're surviving on such a small amount of money, something like getting a a nice dress for your daughter to graduate is out of the question. But it's those sort of extra thoughtful things which happens in a lot of food banks and they all vary. Um, Trust for Trust food banks are the vast majority are kind of independent organisations and we're a membership umbrella franchise. But model essentially so we kind of sit at the top of it but they run themselves they're chiefly volunteer-led and um, what's great about them having visited so many now I've been here for about a year is that they are local people local communities who understand their own communities interact with them every day and are able to kind of respond to need in, in, a, in a more personal and informal way and identify what's needed.
1: And we shouldn't just think about food banks as dealing with the essentials. Here is Benjamin.
3: If it's the maker, they'll, they'll pass out. So what they give you is non-perishable items. So it's mainly things like tins of stuff, and they'll give you rice or pasta, and they'll give you breakfast, cereal, sort of, you know, things that they can, they can accrue and keep for a reasonable length of time. But it's not all functional, thing right I now. So they will give you things like fast and chocolate and crisps, and things that you might like as well as just stuff that, that works you're going to donate food, but just think, I guess, about what you would want. You know, if you found yourself in that position,
0: food banks are especially important now during the summer. Free school meals are the only hot food some children in this country get. So, how many will be going hungry now that it's the
2: holidays? Hundreds of thousands of children come to food banks every year, and um, interestingly, what we see if you compare the sort of the school holiday months to months just directly preceding when when children are obviously in school and getting free school meals then you can see a measurable increase in food bank demand nationally and when you dig down into that as well you can see that it is driven by families with children coming to food banks because they don't again again it's what what our research has shown is that there's this large population of people and families who are just about squeaking by and things like free school meals are utterly necessary for a large number of people. So, yeah, holiday hunger is is a real thing. Again, credit to the volunteers in our food banks, lots of them have recognised this years ago and actually put on extra services, extra activities for families with children because yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a father of three myself and I think When I first started visiting food banks, I think one of the things that I found hardest to deal with was bumping into children the same age as my own. So I think one of the really important things that food banks must do is, as much as possible, maintain the dignity of people who come in. Once you're in a food bank and see something like a holiday club, the volunteers are extraordinary, really, non-judgmental, supportive and often can be the only sort of decent human interaction that people have had outside of their friends and family for a long time. So, in in a way, it can be quite restorative. But I think that any kind of long-term solution to this issue, which is what our organisation is ultimately aiming for, must have dignity at its heart.
1: Whatever your political position, surely we can agree that kids need food. So what can we do to help?
2: The first thing I would say is that please don't despair. I've talked about lots of really large numbers and it can seem a little bit numbing, but there are really concrete things that your listeners could do which we would be really, really grateful if they could. So, yeah, absolutely, number one, go on your website, find your local food bank or emergency food provider. There's not just trust trust funds, there's others. Find out what they need, go down there, give them food. If you want to take it a, a step further, you could uh, volunteer. The vast majority of food banks are almost entirely volunteer run and they're, they're often in need of people who would be willing to help. I would say as well that though it can be a hard thing to do, it's also incredibly rewarding. You can campaign as well. The main issues that we're worried about are things like universal credit. So I said that we've seen like a 13% increase in demand where universal credit has been rolled out for, for a year, we've seen a 52% increase in demand at our food banks. So. We are currently working with a coalition of organisations called End Hunger UK, where we are helping to campaign for changes to universal credit. So do please get on there and um, sign up. We've got a petition where we're asking for reforms to that. You can donate. It's not just food that food banks need. Food banks have got running costs. They've got warehouses. They've got equipment they need. Just put your hand in your pocket and give them some money, and I reckon they'd actually be absolutely grateful for that. Volunteer, donate campaign. These are all things which would, I believe, begin to move us towards a future where food banks aren't needed.
0: So that's what you can do this week. Go to trustfultrust.org and donate some money, offer to volunteer, or just drop some food in your local food bank. And remember what Benjamin said about that. Think about what you would want to receive if you
1: had to go through this. The Trussell Trust are trying to raise awareness of holiday hunger. So join in and help out. When you've donated, tweet a photo using the hashtag Stop Holiday Hunger. That's it for this week. As we said, next week will be our last for a while, so let us know what you're trying to do to make a difference. And we'll mention it before we go on our summer holidays.
0: Or in Gonya's case, perform at the Edinburgh Fringe for three
1: weeks. Ah! Oh, God. I haven't thought this through. <laughs> Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times.